at one time or another, everyone is new to leadership. And kind of like being a parent, you know, you can observe it, you can watch it from afar, but like until you jump in and actually have to do it is usually not what you think. Welcome to season two of Breaking Ladders. This episode is all around some of the challenges that first-time managers experience. You know, I've had the ability to be a first-time manager. I've also had the ability to develop first-time managers. And so I'm going to share some of my experiences and thoughts as we go through it. You know, and let's talk about it because oftentimes we do so much training for new hires. And then most companies throw somebody into management, you know, give them a pat on the back and say, good luck. Let us know how it turns out. And they have no idea what to do. I can't tell you the number of times I have first-time managers or managers that go from leading one to five to 10 people. And they come up to me and they go, this is like a lot more work than I thought. Um, And usually my response is like, yeah, no shit. Like that's why they pay you more. That's why they have you do more. That There's a lot more that comes with it. And the biggest thing is, is what comes with it is people who come with no instructions whatsoever. My name is Katie Ostrico. Thanks for joining us today. My role as the head of VP of sales and marketing allows me to have a lot of different teams below me and a lot of different individuals and behaviors and experiences. And so what I'm going to share with you today is just some of the stats on being first-time managers. Um, Super eye-opening, if you weren't aware. And then let's talk about where some of them struggle and just some things that I've seen that seem to work really well and things that, quite honestly, do not. So 69% of new managers are uncomfortable communicating honestly with their employees. Wow. Okay. So almost three quarters of the people that walk into management are like, I can't sit across from my employee and have a really honest relationship. I can't tell them when they're great, but more importantly, I can't tell them when they're sucking or not doing what they need to do or missing things or not performing. What do you think that does to the long-term ability of that team to function if you have a leader that can't actually communicate? You know, a lot of my examples, which you probably see, are football examples. I'm a big football fan. Imagine if you're the coach of a football team and you are uncomfortable telling your team that that last play didn't work and they need to do something differently. Now, this is where I'm going to put on my Gen X hat with that. You know, we grew up in a face-to-face communication environment. And one of the things that worries me as we move forward is this digital-to-digital environment. You know, when you don't know what it's like to sit across somebody and have an uncomfortable conversation as an employee, and then when you step into leadership, how to do that effectively, you know, it really hinders your ability to create open dialogue with those those folks on your team. You know, and almost 40% of new managers do not want to have to provide feedback to their employees. So think about that. Think about being a parent and never telling your kid what to do ever from birth till they turn 18 and leave the door. Never tell them to do their homework. Never tell them to eat their vegetables. Never tell them it's time to go to bed. You know, it's it's one thing when it's a child and it's in your responsibility. But when you're managing a team, that team is your responsibility. You're paid to not only achieve goals and directions and create camaraderie and develop your talent, You're paid to provide them with feedback, to make them better employees, to help them find the right seat on the bus, to help them get to that next level of their career. 
And I'll be frank with you. If you are uncomfortable having honest communications and you don't want to provide feedback to employees, do not go into management. You know, don't go into it because to be an effective manager, you have to be able to communicate not only the good stuff that feels warm and fuzzy, it's the stuff that keeps you up at night. It's the stuff that maybe you're not hungry for two or three days ahead of time because you know that conversation is going to be tough. You know, those are the things that you have to be able to do effectively. So when you look at employees, you know, managers are why people quit. You know, most companies, if you find a role that fits and a team that fits, and you're going to have a great time there. And I can't tell you the number of times, you know, when you look at the stats on that and when you look at people that leave. And I've had people that left before I started the company I'm at now and came back because the way that the team structure was changed and the employees and the management team was very different. Same company, you know, so they say half of employees actually quit their boss, not the company. So here it is. You're putting people in these management roles with no training. They're uncomfortable communicating with their team. They don't want to give feedback. And you're surprised when you have high turnover. You really shouldn't be. So, you know, when you look at the variance of how engaged employees are, they say 70% of that is due to the manager. If they've got that manager, coach, leader, who inspires them, who they know has their back. I hear that phrase a lot. Do you have my back if I'm going to try something new or different? Um, You know, that variance of how engaged that person is, is a direct result of how that manager engages with the team. And 85% of new managers don't get any training at all. And oftentimes they're not even being told what their expectations are as a manager. What am I supposed to do? So you go, think about it from a sales lens. I've had salespeople that have moved up from individual sales reps to sales managers to sales directors. And what are you doing? You're going from, okay, I have my territory, my schedule, my things. I can do all these things. And it was funny. We we had our sales team in this last week, and I was having a conversation with some of them about a, a new potential opportunity that we were defining. And I said, you need to stop thinking of the tasks as what you can do. You need to start thinking of the tasks as what your team can do and what the organization can do. You've got to back up. You've got to pull out more than where you are just looking at yourself individually. And he's the guy I was talking to, he's like, that's a little bit of a light bulb because I still don't think that way. I think of tasks as the tasks that I can physically do myself. And I mean, leaders don't do the tasks oftentimes. They have to create the environment and the scenario to have other people do those tasks. And the sooner you're able to pull back out and be able to do that, um, the more effective you're going to be. But one of the things I told him is I said, you've got to be really clear with your team around what are your expectations? What do you want them to do? What does that look like? And then you've got to check in with them to make sure that they're on that track before you let them run. So it's a shift in behavior. I'm not doing I'm setting the expectations, and then I'm making sure my team has what they need to get those done. So, you know, think about first-time leaders and think about where in the world this scenario would ever happen, okay? A role that is super critical to the organization, a role that determines whether people stay or go. Um, I've given them no training, limited information. Um, I give them a ton of responsibilities. I might not set good expectations of what good looks like to me or the organization. I'm hopeful that they'll figure it out. 
Um, and if they did a good job in the other role, I'm assuming they'll do well here. No company would ever do that for a job function that involved like technology or machinery. Think about it. Would you throw someone like me out on a production line, let's say of an automotive production facility and go, hey, um, you seem to show up on time and get your work done. Um, here you go. You're going to work this section of the line. Good luck. Um, let us know if you can figure out how to put engines in there or transmissions. Um, we hope you understand what quality looks like, but we've got a piece of paper somewhere in case you need it. Um, you won't really have training and we're going to tell you if you don't do it right. You know, why would you not do that with your management team and put that same kind of effort to them that you would any other function that's critical to the organization? And one of the reasons why I think companies don't do it, first of all, larger companies have more ability to do that. They have training teams, organizations, all kinds of stuff. Smaller companies, you don't. You know, teams are really small. You might have one person that does that function and that's it. So it's expensive. It takes a lot of time. And there isn't a clear-cut way to do it. You know, you can train somebody how to give feedback to a certain type of person, but the next person that walks in the door, you know, somebody might nod and take it and improve, and the next person might scream and cry and go to their car and not work for two weeks and quit. You might deliver that feedback the exact same way. And so it's hard to train because what you're training people to do is read others have empathy, understand what you need to accomplish, be an effective communicator, be adaptable, be an excellent listener. You know, these are skills that you can't train in a classroom or it's very hard to do so. And so as I look at how, you know, leaders that have moved into those roles that I've had the chance to work with, you know, people don't work how you work. I say that all the time when I have people struggling with somebody. They're like, well, they're doing this. And I'm like, mm-hmm, yep. They must work different than you. So how are you going to adapt? Because P.S., that employee's not going to adapt. It's your job as a leader to adapt. So the things that worked for you in the past, now you have to throw almost all of that out. And you have to think of different ways to adapt and change to get that person to work wherever they are and meet them where they are. You know, there's a barrier between leaders and teams and this gap develops as soon as you step into leadership, which is awkward for some. You know, I was joking around with with one of my sales leaders and we were talking about, you know, two years ago at a sales meeting, he knew when everybody went to bed, he was on the text chain, he was in the know. And now all of the team reports up to him and he has regional managers below him. He doesn't know what's going on because he's not in those text chains anymore. So you change the social dynamic. You used to be one of the team. Now you're the leader on the team and it's different, feels different, looks different. You don't get access to the same information. You oftentimes don't get access to the things they don't want you to see. So it creates a really different social dynamic that's a struggle for a lot of new managers. The priorities in leadership aren't always clear at organizations. And I think that's on the executive team, you know, and we've spent a lot of time with our team focused on that. And we're kind of taking a different approach this year that's super clear and, and effective at like, here's what we're doing, where we're going and why. But it's hard to do. It's not always that clear. And so if you step into a leadership role or a management role and you go, OK, what are we supposed to be focused on? I don't know. So I'm going to try to figure some stuff out. That's hard if you've never had to come up with that stuff. If you've been in a position where somebody always told you what your priorities were and what you were doing and what you were expected to do, and now you walk into a blank slate in an empty room and they go, I don't know, 
you know, a lot of people feel that that uncertainty is way beyond their capacity. And it's not, by the way, you just have to work through it, but it can be overwhelming. Um, A lot of times managers struggle with what decisions they can make and what authority they have. And with my team, you know, what I've told them and, and what I stress when you're delegating and delegating decisions and delegating authorities, I said, delegate whatever you're comfortable delegating and then take one more step. Make one more step beyond where you're comfortable to give them that authority. Now, it doesn't mean throw them out, you know, to the wolves. It means creating a safety net, but letting them try. Getting them a little bit more comfortable going beyond what you think your team is comfortable with. And it's really hard for managers who were great individual contributors and had a way that they did things. and They were so effective at it. And now you have to let somebody else do it. And they might do it a little bit differently. And you might need to have them let them make a decision. No, not necessarily that's wrong, but it might not look exactly how you would do that. And your goal is to work them through that process to make them effective decision makers. But a lot of times it's really hard to do. With with a manager that steps into a role, especially if they're what I would call a working manager, which is typically what happens at a small company. You know, if I look at my role right now, I'm posting social media content and working on the strategy for the organization and leading the team, right? So like, it's not like you get to a place where you're like, oh, I don't have like regular work that I'm doing or if we don't have as many people, you know, it just looks different. So it's kind of a working manager. And when you have people, your workload increases exponentially because they're calling you with all kinds of stuff. They're sharing all kinds of stuff with you. And so now you have to absorb not only the work, but you might have to absorb other things that they're coming to you with, personal issues that you might be super ill-equipped to handle. And from that perspective, like you're like, this is overwhelming. This could eat up my entire life every day, all day. And you're like, yeah, that's where you've got to get really good at putting boundaries. You know, I love a Brene Brown interview I heard from her where she said, you know, people that have experienced like trauma and hurt and all kinds of things in their life, um, you know, and, and the people that are most joyful. She's like, what are the things that they have in common? And she said, they set the strictest boundaries for themselves. And so a lot of what I work with new managers on is they're like, well, I'll do this. And I'm like, Mm-mm, you can't do that. You have to delegate that. So put together what you need the team to do and then give them that because you can't do that. I need you doing this. The other thing that surprises a lot of people is the administrative tasks that happen. You're like, oh, I'm in leadership. Like all this stupid admin stuff goes away. No, it's like triple because you're having to review. You're having to approve. You're having to evaluate things against budgets. You're having to, you know, deal with employees that might be a challenge. And how are you working through developments with them? The administrative tasks are exponential and can eat you alive or catch up with you if you don't get them done. That usually surprises a lot of managers. And then the time with their people versus the time to get their work done is a constant struggle I see. You know, hey, there are things I want to accomplish, but I'm spending all my time with my team doing these other things. And so there's always this back and forth. There's never this balance between, you know, leading and doing. There's always this change and shift that happens. And so having seen all this with first-time managers, you know, our team, we talk a lot about developing our team and how do we make them effective? How do we talk about it openly? How do we set our expectations? How do we center around maybe one target for the quarter that we're all going to work on that everybody knows? You know, we try to do things to understand what that looks like. We also talk about 
people and struggles and what they're dealing with and, you know, identifying what we can do to help them beyond their job or, you know, if they're feeling stress and anxiety, how are we helping them to cope with that? Um, You know, how are we helping them to cope with maybe something that's happening outside of work that they're having to deal with and picking up the slack for that? You know, there's no set day where you might not have something crazy come in and now you've got to deal with it and your entire day pivots and everything you thought you were going to do that day, you're not going to do. And so knowing that, so let me ask this question. So knowing all those things, right? Super critical of the organization, super unclear, no training. It's chaos. I don't know what's coming in. The world is just, you know, upside down some days. Why would anyone ever want to be a leader? (laughs) Which I will tell you, if you are not sure, take the time to make sure before you step into a leadership role. And I get it. A lot of companies, unfortunately, go, hey, if you're a leader, that's the only path to develop. That's the only path to make more money. And and I wish companies weren't as structured that way because I think what happens is people who want to make more money step into roles that they really shouldn't um, because the opportunity is there. And, and unfortunately, when you have a bad leader, the toxic effect of so many people goes up exponentially. So, so why would anyone want to do this? I think some people inspire to leadership like any other career path, right? Like some individuals grow up and are like, I want to lead a company one day. This is part of who I am. I want to start a company. I'm an entrepreneur. I I always wanted to run a company. And they set up their whole life to do that and love people like that. That was totally not me. (laughs) You know, for me, I was just trying to figure out like where my place was for the first, I would say, 10 years of my career. Like, what, what is it that I do? Like, who am I? What do I do better than other people? And the great thing about that is I had the chance to be a part of teams where I had great managers and where I had terrible managers. And so part of my motivation in management was like, I'm like, and, and believe me, you do not get it right every day. There are probably people that have worked for me that's like, she's a nightmare. Um, and there's people that have worked for me that have worked for me for a long time um, and have a really great experience. I'm not for everybody. Okay. Like it's like sushi. Some people love it. And some people are like, don't put me near that. That's true of any manager. The key is though, is to find what works for you, what works for your organization and create a team around you that can live and breathe that every day. And when you get it, it's fun and it is not for everybody. You know, for me, when I look at the skills that a manager needs, it's it's random. And so that fit me really well because I'm not afraid to be a risk taker. I'm not afraid to make decisions. I'm not afraid to be a broad thinker. I'm not afraid to take things that are big and break them down and put some metrics and get some things done. I'm not afraid of any of that. Um, I like presenting in front of people. I like having one-on-one conversations. I like you know, getting to focus on things and, and change some thinking on things. But I also like taking a really great culture and going, okay, what does this look like to get us to that next level? Those are the things that made me want to go into leadership. And so anybody that's thinking about it, I would encourage you to think beyond the pay and think beyond the title. To be honest, um, there are people that will go, oh, I'm this title. And it's like super important to them. Um, oftentimes when people ask me what I do, I just say sales and marketing, (laughs) unless it really comes up or unless I say something about like, Hey, my team does this. 
you know, and they'll ask me about it. The title's not what's important to me. Um, the accolades are not what are important to me. Um, you know, I was sharing with one of my sales directors and, and the head of our company. When I saw my sales director really take charge of the team and lead the team, and it's his team, and he's celebrating them, and they're recognizing the work that he does for them, and I get to sit there and watch, that's fun for me. You know, and so from my perspective, I get joy out of finding other people do really well and get those chances to do something cool. That's what leadership is for me. And that's why I do it. There's always more pay. There's always somebody that makes more money than you, has a different title than you, has all these other things. You could chase that like you could chase anything. And and I, I laughed. I was talking to somebody when we were growing up, you know, in the 80s. Like, there was no internet, and, like, I didn't even have cable until I went to college. Like, I didn't have a clue what was going on in the world. And as part of that, you know, we didn't know that we didn't have any money. <laughs> like, we didn't know what people were really doing. Like, you might see, like, a Brooke Shields wearing a certain type of jean in an ad, and maybe you got visibility to that, or you would read, like, Teen Beat magazine to see what the cool people were doing. But today, you see what everybody's doing. You see what all the cool people are doing, what they're making, what it looks like, what's status, what's not. You know, and it there's always this thing that you can chase. But I will tell you, if you're content in what you have and you understand who you are, you'll be surprised that a lot of that stuff doesn't really matter um, as you get older. So let's talk about, you know, one of the things that happens um, with companies and, and what I think they can do to change how they think about leadership. So, you know, the cost to train managers, that's hilarious when you think of how many people they could impact on profit if they bring in terrible people, if they don't develop their people, if people leave because of them. You know, to me, that cost is minor to create good talent, but it's often one of the things that's overlooked. The other thing that I think happens is there's still this belief that people are born leaders. Like, oh, you were born with these nine character traits, and you therefore will be an amazing leader. Not true. I've never met a leader that is a carbon copy. Every leader I've had, even the ones that are the great leaders that I've worked for, are all extremely different people. And a couple of things that they did is they knew who they were, they knew what their experience was. They knew the organization and where they were taking it, and they knew what their shortfalls were, and they were open and honest with their team. You can learn all of that. <laughs> like, that's something that can be taught if you have the desire to do it. Um, you know, there's, it takes time to develop management. It takes time to understand and live through some of those experiences. And oftentimes managers, you know, are not given that time to figure things out. So here's some things that I would think about if I was leading a team, you know, and, and advising companies of like, hey, if I was coming in and leading a group and saying, okay, how do we take this? What do we do with this? Because this is some of the stuff that we do in our sales team today. So I would identify people that you think might want to be future leaders and have the conversation with them. Like, ask them, like, is this something that you would want to do? And if they say, yeah, then before they're ready, start talking to them about what that looks like. 
show them that next level above them? And what are some of the decisions that that person's making? I would be really open about not necessarily giving team details everywhere, but being open and saying, hey, like there's this challenge facing our team. We have these three key initiatives. We really only have the ability to do two. How would you go about figuring this out? And you might have an answer as a leader in mind as you're coaching and developing them, but see how they process things. See how they would go about answering a question that's not super clear. Um, See how they start to understand that you've often got to take a bigger picture on things and show them and walk them through that. You know, for our team, we go through, I take my sales leaders through like once a quarter when we do our board meeting, I'll walk through our quarterly financials with them. And I don't expect them to know it. We don't go into all the details on it. I don't usually even give them a copy of it because I don't want them living in all that detail. But we have conversations about what's up, what's down. What might be impacting that? What am I looking at? Um, What's concerning to me? Where do I think the opportunities are? And what I'm doing is I'm teaching them so when they have the ability to look at the metrics for their team or their region, that they're looking at it through that lens as well. And it's just developing those skills so when they sit at that big table, it's not the first time they've seen a P&L. It's not the first time you know they've seen my thought process in going through those things. It's not the first time you know they've heard where I have challenges and how I'm working through those. And I probably tend to be a little bit more like upfront about it and open about it. Um, you know, I was joking with somebody one time, like, you think the executive team knows exactly what to do in every step? I'm like, we don't know. Like, that's why we need you guys to be looking at it too. We want the best answers. We don't always know. We might know where we're going at a high level and we might have ideas of how to get there, but we don't always know. And so I think that's the misconception. People walk into leadership and they're like, oh, I'm here. I've been here two weeks. I should know everything. Like, no, you don't. And so from that lens, you know, I would just think about that is like, okay, are you ready to step into something where you might go from being an expert to an absolute beginner, where you might not know anything, where everything seems big, everything seems important. Everything seems overwhelming and you don't know if you're ready. (laughs) And so, so I wanted to spend a little bit of time today talking just about those challenges of first time managers. And, you know, I had the exact same thing when I stepped into those roles and it was something I wanted to do really well. And I had places where I did really well and I had places where I did not. And I've learned from those. I'll talk about those. I'll share those with my managers as they're coming up and directors and leaders of like, hey, here's where I struggled. Here's where I didn't do as well. Here's where I wish this would have gone differently. You know, learn from the things that I've done so that you don't do those. You don't have to be this cartoon caricature of a person that doesn't actually exist, that knows every answer, that never gets anything wrong, that never you know, has a situation that they can't handle. It's not real. And so part of it is when you're in management, really understanding why you want to get into that role. What is it that motivates you? What does it look like? Why are you doing it? Are you willing to put in the time to do it? Are you willing to work through all of the uncertainty to figure it out? So next episode, going to talk a little bit about the tremendous amount of energy and time it takes to really be a leader in an organization and how to know if you're ready. But I really wanted to start season two with probably sharing a little bit differently, a little bit more content, breaking it out, being a little bit more, we'll call it 
you know, upfront about some of the chaos that really happens behind the scenes and talk about what some of these things look like and understanding that it's not always clear. It's not always consistent. There isn't always, you know, you got to love these podcasts. I will tell you, you'll notice a pause that just happened in this podcast because my son and his friend just came in on a Saturday afternoon from playing outside in Michigan when it was 80 degrees. And now they're getting changed from being wet and doing water balloons. That is the reality of my life. I'm trying to squeeze in a podcast in between reading two books and doing some work for the weekend and everything else. Look, leadership is a lot. It takes a lot to be a manager. You've got to be willing to sacrifice a lot. And so I just wanted to share with you what I see are some of the pitfalls and risks that companies have. And next time we're going to talk about what leadership looks like and the energy that it takes and the guilt that goes with it and the conversations that you need to be able to have. So I'm looking forward to having that chat. Engage with us socially. Email me at breakingladders2 at gmail.com if you have any thoughts about future episodes. And I'm excited to be back and I'm excited for season two with you.